Hey everyone, it's Darlena. I'll be your host for this episode of Doctors Who Create. And this week I wanted to talk about creativity in the time of COVID-19. In the midst of a global pandemic, people have come up with really creative ways to stretch the limited resources they have. There have been stories of people 3D printing ventilator parts or trying to invent new ways to reuse PPE. For this conversation, I invited Dr. David Hinden, who's currently a fellow at Stanford's Biodesign Innovation Program. He's a surgeon by trade, creative at heart, learning always. I love this tagline, by the way. And he's got a master's in innovation and entrepreneurship. He started The Invented Magazine, which is available on the App Store. And he has his own YouTube channel. There's a whole series on why your doctor should daydream. And he also takes you behind the scenes so you can find out what it's like to be a biodesign fellow. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be talking with you. I've been uh, a fan of Doctors Who Create for a while. I'm a general surgeon. I did my training at Temple University Hospital, a very uh, trauma-heavy part of North Philadelphia, so we had a very strong trauma critical care background. And uh, along the side over the years in sort of my medical pathway, I've always had this sort of uh, creative part of myself that I've been uh, trying to find different outlets for over the years. So you uh, found my YouTube channel. That's sort of one of the one of the vehicles that lets me kind of unplug and be creative and connect with other people. And uh, as you mentioned, most recently, I'm doing a fellowship at Stanford called their Biodesign Innovation Fellowship. And it's basically a year-long program that puts together doctors, engineers, and other people who are interested in innovating within the healthcare environment. And during the course of the year, they train us in their methodology for um, finding opportunities, evaluating opportunities against each other, and then sort of developing a uh, technology solution to solve them. It sounds like this really diverse group of people, which I think allows for a lot of that collaborative energy to flow. Totally. Yeah. I mean, the, the amount of care and planning that clearly went into designing our teams is is really impressive. I, I mean, when we showed up on day one, um, they'd already sort of pretty much decided what the teams are going to be. And then the final week, they announced it for sure during the middle of a PowerPoint session, kind of talking to us about updates. Every team has at least... I'd say about 50-50 with doctors and engineers. It's like a really good mix of talents and of backgrounds and of personalities. And uh, like you said, I think that that's like a big part of the secret sauce to creating something. What's the structure of your program like and what have you learned so far? The fellowship itself on paper, like, you know, during a normal year without the pandemic is a 10-month experience. So it starts in August. It runs until the end of April for sort of the academic component. Tomorrow, actually, all the fellows are presenting a final presentation. It's kind of like a presentation day and a pitch day kind of all rolled into one, sharing our formal academic needs that we've been working on this year and our projects and technology that's come out of it. And then the month of May is traditionally spent in biodesign uh, with the fellows, each picking a personal experience that they want to have for the month, being embedded in a company for a month, working with a venture capital firm. I'm personally spending a month working with IDEO, which is this incredible global design company. They bring together experts from all kinds of disciplines, from fine art to engineering to medicine, and they apply this kind of human-centric design thinking approach to solve problems for clients that come from all sorts of disciplines. The fellowship's very front-heavy on really understanding what the need is, and they really double down on 
on this saying that a well-characterized need is the DNA of any good invention. And really what they, what they emphasize is understanding the core of a problem and having an insight into what that problem might be. So for instance, if we, to, to use an example from COVID, for instance, you know, all of us are hearing in the news about aerosolization, right? And, um, you know, we know that anesthesiologists, for instance, when they intubate a patient, there's, there's aerosolization of the particles. So one need on the surface might be, you know, a way to sort of reduce that aerosolization, but sort of if we really kind of apply the process of understanding that need more deeply, we'd go a couple levels deeper to say, okay, well, what step in, in intubation really aerosolizes particles the most? What, what maneuvers make that highest risk? And as you sort of go deeper into understanding a problem, you really get into this territory where you discover unexpected needs that are within that problem, where if you solve that little part of the picture, that may actually solve a huge part of it. It sounds like the people who are doing this fellowship are coming from all different types of backgrounds. So what's that first step in the process of getting everyone on board? Every year, biodesign as a fellowship assigns a formal focus area. You don't have to stick with it, but the focus area that they assign, they also do a bunch of groundwork to sort of get you caught up to speed, especially for the non-medical people. So step one in the process to answer your question is sort of giving everybody a baseline bolus of information. So this year's subject matter was ENT. And the first two to three weeks of the fellowship, we had lectures from different ENT providers. Um, so we had talks on head and neck surgery, on laryngology, on neurotology. And step one is sort of developing just a basic working vocabulary to start understanding stuff. And then the next step is to be immersed in the clinical field, to just be a fly in the wall, just observing things that happen. And so we would shadow ENT providers in the OR and clinic. And, uh, you know, I think existing doctors in the program probably were at a little bit of a disadvantage because we're so used to seeing stuff and, oh, yeah, yeah, that that's that's how it's done. Like everybody knows, you know, that's how you do this. That's how you intubate a patient versus um, someone that's even more naive to the field notices even more stuff. But at that stage, you start collecting your observations, noticing areas where people struggle, asking why a lot, and sort of compiling a big list of everything that you notice. And during that process, we're sitting down as a team to sort of share our notes, sort of uh, reconvening and seeing what problems might be more interesting than others. Medical students actually seem really poised to do all of this right now on clerkship rotations because we are new to the field and we're kind of like that fly on the wall, maybe a little bit more than a fly on the wall, I'd like to think. Um, but we can do those things and make those observations and keep lists and it seems like a great opportunity to incorporate it as part of our experience and it doesn't necessarily even have to take ad additional time. Totally. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, you know, anyone can sort of put themselves in that frame of mind. Uh, it, it can be sort of hard to sort of force yourself to step back when you are used to looking at a situation matter uh, from a matter of fact perspective, but you're, you're totally right. Med students are in a great spot to sort of keep that naive lens and sort of try to force themselves to question what's in front of them. Going back to what you were saying about the process of coming up with an idea after doing these observations, what comes next? You've made these observations, you discover things that are interesting, 
you and your teammates all notice these problems and then you sort of rank the problems against each other based on how many patients are affected you know what might the market opportunity be and eventually you come out the other end of the funnel with a problem that you know depending on your team's priorities that ideally probably affects a big portion of patients ideally has enough understanding of the mechanism that you sort of would have a way to approach solving it and ideally has uh, a pathway to market that wouldn't involve sort of prohibitive regulatory hurdles and all that stuff. A huge part of the year is also involved in giving us training to sort of understand the regulatory pipeline, understand the uh, the intellectual property aspect and whether you have an idea that would be very difficult to protect or whether it's something that has a real opportunity to do something new. Um, and I should also say that they, they give us a, a really functional working knowledge and help us learn how to think about this. But a huge part of what made the the fellowship special has been the the resources that they surround us with. So these absolute worldwide experts in each of these areas are also our mentors in the program. So they've been sort of helping us work through these problems as they happen. How did COVID change things for you? What were the impacts on the program? The whole year we sort of, we went through this process. We started at the observation stage and by uh, I'd say about two, three months ago, right when COVID came into play, we had sort of gotten to the point where um, each team had one or two sort of concepts that we found exciting that were solving a need and you know putting together a business plan and a, a pathway to sort of move that concept to market. And then COVID happened. And so as a fellowship, they sort of came to us and said, look, this is a unprecedented time with, you know, a whole bunch of urgent, urgent problems that are being recognized um, surrounding this pandemic. And they basically said, you know, we'd love for you to use what you've learned um, to see what you can do. And at the same time that they were sort of talking to us, biodesign is fairly well, well known around the world. And so people from all over that had ideas were coming to the biodesign leadership saying, you know, here's something that I want to do. What can we do with it? You know, how can you guys like help us to get this idea out into the world? And so what the fellowship did was they assigned each of our three teams, a general area to focus on within the COVID landscape. So my team is, was assigned PPE and sort of ways to sort of prevent getting infected from you know protecting the provider the other team was assigned uh, patient isolation and sort of issues around quarantine and preventing people from catching what the patient has and sort of focusing on the patient and then our third team of fellows was assigned an area that looks at surge capacity and sort of how do you approach the problems that hospitals have in the critical care arena things like ventilators and stuff so it was kind of a two-pronged approach where they told the fellows you know go and sort of repeat the process that you've learned this year with a focus on those assigned areas. And at the same time, as people were coming to biodesign with ideas and concepts and inventions and sort of different stages of the process, they were directing them to the relevant team to sort of meet with these people and, and uh, see how we could be of help. How has your team uh, decided to tackle the problem of PPE? The approach that my team and I are taking is to try to take a slightly longer view of PPE and look further out beyond supply chain issues. So if you look right now at the first wave of innovation, if you just Google like innovation in COVID, you know, the first 10 pages are going to be hits around someone who's 3D printed some kind of brace or, you know, has taken a vacuum cleaner, you know, filter, all of that. And, and, and rightfully so, I mean, because that's solving the problem quickly. 
But we've also been asking ourselves what issues are still going to be there once the supply chain catches up. You know, what issues are people going to have with PPE even when, you know, they have as much of it as they want? And and that's an area that we're that we're exploring a little bit right now. It's interesting to think about the ways in which constraints can cultivate creativity because a lot of the times in medicine I feel like things tend to just stay the way they are and now we have this huge impetus for change in so many different arenas. I I'm so glad that you said that. I think constraints are kind of like the gasoline for creativity, you know? Like you can have some of it, you can have some ideas, but as soon as you apply a time limit or as soon as you limit someone's resources, the potential to be creative kind of goes through the roof. Speaking from personal experience this morning, my regular studio mic malfunctioned on me. So I had to hack something together with a SingStar mic, a hairdryer holder, and a sock. Wow. What kind of microphone is it? What'd you call it? SingStar. It's one of those um, PlayStation 2 karaoke games. And the mic happens to have a USB plug. And I also was able to finagle a makeshift microphone stand and a filter. That's amazing. That's that's it right there. And I mean, like, I don't think that you would have ever walked around your uh, apartment and said, you know, I bet if I put a, a, a sock and, you know, something else on, I could I could hack together a better microphone. But all of a sudden you had to and you came up with it. Yes, absolutely. Um, which brings me to my next question. How have you found opportunities to be creative throughout your medical training? I was really, uh, really lucky. I think um, both in med school and in residency, the the structure that I was um, sort of part of let me stretch out a little bit and explore. So in med school, I went to Penn for med school, and I'd say maybe 25, 30% of each class does an extra year of something. So it, a huge proportion of us uh, take five years to graduate. And so for me in med school, that gave me an extra year to uh, spend some time exploring tissue engineering and work on a project, handling different stem cell populations and learning how to sort of use less differentiated cells to build different structures. Um, and it was a total, total 180 from what we had been doing in med school and in the clinics. So for me, that was a year to really kind of step back and use a different part of my brain. And, and I think that that's one way that you can get to be more creative. And then in residency, I was really lucky to, to have the flexibility from my program to spend two years in the lab working on sort of a traditional basic science project in the tissue engineering space. But they also gave me the freedom and the flexibility to explore other areas in health innovation. I had, I'd happened to do a program at, um, Temple's Fox School of Business that officially gives you sort of a master's in innovation management and entrepreneurship. And that's kind of like the official academic title. But the reality on the ground was that that gave me a whole lot of runway to sort of experiment with different ideas. And um, you had mentioned the magazine that I had started. That's when I got to start the magazine. And it was the extra time and space out of the traditional residency pathway that really let me kind of broaden my scope and sort of look into these sort of side routes that I was really interested in. And without that, if I had sort of been forced to stay within the structure and not have those opportunities, I don't know that I would be able to be doing the fellowship that I'm in right now, for instance. And how did you find out about this 
fellowship because I had never heard of a biodesign program like this ever before. It's so cool to know that something like this exists out there. Oh my gosh. Totally. Yeah. I mean, well, it, the YouTube series that, that you mentioned, I had put that together kind of selfishly as a way to learn what was out there in the creative space. And I discovered this fellowship doing a Google search to see what might be good sites to film at. Um, and it, just like you said, like as soon as I discovered it, I I just thought, oh my gosh, like this is this is exactly what I've always wanted to do. And I didn't even know it existed until I stumbled across it. Now that you've done the fellowship, what are your plans for after? How do you plan on combining clinical medicine and creativity in your career? Yeah, well, that's a great question. So the uh, the goal for me has always been to find a way to combine um, innovation and sort of involvement in developing health technology with a clinical a clinical career. So starting this August, uh, I'll be joining Stanford's Department of Surgery as a staff surgeon at their VA in Palo Alto. And uh, a really incredible part of that opportunity is that I'll be able to stay involved with biodesign and the ecosystem that I've been in this year um, and keep working on developing new technology with uh, another teammate of mine that I've been working with. Um, then longer term, you know, my hope is to to find a way to continue blending innovation and uh, clinical work throughout my life after this coming year also. And do you have plans to roll out more YouTube videos, more stuff on social media, Instagram, TikTok? Oh, TikTok, you know, TikTok, I, I have dipped my, I, I dipped part of a toe into and I still have to, I still have to get comfortable with that platform and making, uh, making content there. But definitely, um, definitely YouTube. I have a, a video I'm working on right now for the COVID response. Yeah, YouTube is a, is a, an outlet, I think, to be creative and sort of share what I love with the world and um, continue doing doing that all, all at the same time that I'm sort of doing my sort of professional career stuff too. To wrap up this conversation, what does creativity mean to you? Uh, I think, you know, I think creativity means, it means different things to different people. And I think at its core, it's a way of making connections between different ideas and different areas. And so I think a lot of great inventions that become really successful often borrow ideas from different parts of the world. So in medicine, some of the really exciting inventions might borrow uh, a technology or an approach from a different part of the body. And I think with creativity, you see people that are able to sort of loosen up the the sort of rigid boundaries in their head and sort of make connections across disciplines and ask different questions that that sort of inspire different lines of thinking. And what advice would you have for our listeners who are looking for more ways to be creative or who are hoping to incorporate design thinking into their work? I've I've kind of noticed over the years by seeing how people respond to what I'm doing, I've kind of noticed that there is this there's this huge group of this huge group of med students, of residents, of doctors who have this creative itch deep inside. And, you know, uh, I used to be in that boat where I would see other people doing stuff and sort of wish I could find a way to blend that with my own life. And all that I would say is for anyone who wants to be creative and feels creative and wants to find an outlet, just to pick something and start doing because there's never going to be a convenient time, especially if you're in the kind of career pathway where you're in med school or any other step in that path, you're always going to be busier. There's always going to be higher stakes tests coming up. 
And so I think the only way to really start to satisfy that passion is to just force yourself to prioritize it and get involved now. Well, thank you so much for your time. I've been really inspired by this conversation. In fact, the next book on my to-read list is Dr. Bonku's Health Design Thinking. I'd love to learn more about how I can conceptualize these problems so that I can look more carefully on the wards and think about which ones I want to help solve in the future. I love I love how you put that, to look more carefully. I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess that, that would be my other piece of advice, just to always kind of keep your eyes open and ask why and uh, not take things around you at face value. And that's all we got for this episode of Doctors Who Create. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find more content by Dr. David Hinden, you should definitely check out his YouTube channel and his Twitter at David Hinden and his Instagram account at The Surgeon Life. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe, tell a friend, leave a review. We would love to hear from you. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at doctorswhocreate at gmail.com. Or tweet us at doctorscreate. Or check out our website, doctorswhocreate.com, to listen to our podcast episodes and also to check out other articles and profiles of physicians who are creative. Intro music brought to you by the band Night Float.